Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. What's up, everybody? February 27th edition of the Fightful MMA Podcast. My name is Joe Ferraro, your host. You can find me online via social media at Showdown Joe. It is Monday, uh, and uh, every other Monday or sometimes a few times, I like to have on Adam Martin at MMA or at MM Adam Martin, correct? Yep, Adam? yep you got it. I keep screwing up. Well, I think it's the first time I screwed it up, but uh, I haven't talked to you in a while. How you been, my friend? Been good, man. Been good. Looking forward to the fights this weekend. It's going to be a good card. Looking forward to talking shop with you, Joe. Yeah, UFC 209. Uh, I, I, you know, I wish it was UFC 209 Stockton, but it is what it is. Uh, I know at one point it was supposed to be that the talk was Tyron Woodley uh, was trying to get that fight with Nick Diaz. and It would have been perfect because A, it's UFC 209. B, it probably had Nate Diaz on the card. But, um, you know, I, that, that's us talking. We'll be talking a lot about fantasy today, but that would have been a fantasy card for me. I know some people don't like that Tyron Woodley potentially versus a Nick Diaz fight. It's a money fight. And I know guys, when they get to a certain age and they start getting to a certain point, they want money fights and i don't blame them adam i really don't yeah for sure no i agree with you completely joe um you know it's something that i wasn't sure we were going to talk about but yeah i made the point in in the past couple months that you know this was an easy marketing play for the ufc to put nick and nate diaz on ufc 209 do it at the stockton arena you could have did it there obviously they went back to vegas for this card and it's a great card don't get me wrong but uh i think it would have been an easy sell for the ufc to put nick or nate on but Seems like Nick is only holding out for a title fit at this point, and Nate, I think, is only holding out for that McGregor trilogy match. So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what they what the UFC does with those guys in the, in the coming months because I'm sure that they want to get them back in the cage. As uh, 2017 is the year of the money fight, as you mentioned. Um, with Nick Diaz potentially holding out for a title fight, and Nate obviously wanting that Conor McGregor trilogy bout. Realistically speaking, a do you think it's going to happen? But b they're money fights for the UFC, and those are money fights that they could make. It's hard to say, man, but like I agree that both guys are guys that move the needle, even though Dana White said in the past that Nate Diaz does not move the needle like Nick does, but they both move the needle, no doubt. They have a large fan base. Having said that, Nick Diaz hasn't won a fight since 2011 um, when he beat BJ Penn. That's almost six years ago now, October 2011. It's hard to, it's hard to see him getting a, a title fight coming in his uh, comeback re- return to the cage, but... Uh, Maybe he gets that rematch with GSP. I, I don't want to see that fight again, but, I mean, like you said, they want to make the biggest fights. And with Nick, Nate Diaz, uh, 
you know, he only wants Connor. I don't think that's going to happen either. It seems like Connor, we'll talk about the fantasy boxing card in a bit, but it seems like he wants that fight or maybe even the fight with GSP, which is the fight I think that they should make, but we'll see. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're going to talk about UFC 209 a little bit later because we want to break down some of the boats on the card because it's a good card. I really like it. And, and I mean, that co main event has me more intrigued than the actual main event, believe it or not. But we will get to that uh, momentarily. You, you mentioned Connor. You mentioned GSP. GSP, as we know, has resigned. I didn't have a chance to talk to you or converse with you as to what you think might potentially happen with George St. Pierre because. The options for George are plenty, and the options, well, one option is now gone. It was basically my last option, uh, a number one contender fight versus Damian Maya. Damian Maya is now taken on, uh, or the rumor is he's taken on, uh, or the report is, excuse me, uh, he's taken on Jorge Masvidal. Uh, do you like that fight for Damian Maya and Jorge Mas- Masvidal? I like the fight as a fan, but I feel kind of bad for Maya. I do believe he's earned that title shot in. It's a, it's a, the show must go on, Joe. They need people to fill in these main events. When you do 41 cards a year, you need main event fights. And the original announcement for that national card was Artem Lobov versus Cub Swanson. And that's a fight where I was like, why did they make this terrible matchup? Made no sense at all. I'm not a fan of Lobov, really. I mean, he's, he's one of those gatekeeper guys. And you threw him against – go against a guy like Cub Swanson just had fight of the year. Didn't get people excited. People on social media were not excited for that. So they had to f- find plan B, and that's Damian Maya. But, yeah, I thought Damien got uh, a little bit screwed there by the UFC. Kind of sucks for him. At the same time, though, if he beats Masvidal, I mean, how could they knock him tell shot at that point? But, yeah, do you want to talk about GSP now? Like, my thoughts on that or – yeah, just George St. Pierre because, I mean, the options that were out there, obviously, uh, that I threw out there in my article on FightfulMMA.com, and I'll, I'd like to get your thoughts on a couple of them because, A, uh, I'm leaning towards that Conor McGregor fight, uh, beat at 170 or at 155 if George can make 155. I don't know that he can because I know he had, at one point he was walking around around 193, and that's a lean 193 to him. For him to get to 170 is a bit of work. That, that's a lot more weight to get down to 155. But the Conor McGregor fight potentially is a super fight at 170. Uh, Obviously, if he was to come back, uh, the, other, the other theory, the, the MMA math theory, um, is simply, hey, you know what? He was the champion. He relinquished the title. He has to come back and fight for that title. It's his belt, technically, uh, or some people believe it's his belt. He gave it up. He should come back and fight for it. Uh, a number one contender fight versus the likes of a Damian Maya. Then there's also the Michael Bisping, because that was the fight that was supposed to take place uh, in Toronto in December. And with that Michael Bisping fight, uh, you know, he, let's say George emerges victorious with that one there. There's the almost automatic, for me, Anderson Silva fight that everyone has been waiting for for such a long time that never, ever took place for a variety of reasons. There's also simply putting George St. Pierre versus Anderson Silva in his return fight. Uh, the options are plenty. Some are better. Some are not so good. Uh, give me your thoughts on this whole George St. Pierre situation. Well, that's the beauty of, this, of George St. Pierre, Joe. You put him against anyone, and the card's going to sell. The UFC's definitely made a good move here, re-signing him, uh, getting him back into the fold. Looking forward to seeing him back in the mix later this year. I, I'm with you, though, Joe. I mean, I did an article myself on MMA ratings, and, and the argument I made is that you got to do that Conor McGregor fight. Strike while the iron's hot. Put the two biggest superstars in MMA against each other. Because the thing is, if, if just say GSP comes back. Just say he does fight Anderson or this thing. I, I'm, I'm okay. I actually do like the Anderson fight. I think that's a fine um, – I would even say a tune-up fight at this point because I think George St. Pierre handles Anderson at this point in his career. Um, although it's a fight that I've wanted to see, obviously, for the last decade. But I think if you put him in there against him or Bisping or, or someone like that, or even like a guy like Woodley or Wonderboy, and just say he loses, okay, then you've kind of blown it for, for yourself because he's not going to have that same star power that he that he does right now coming off that four-year layoff where he's still at the top of the game. He I think he's on an 11-fight win streak right now or something. Obviously, relinquished the title. Put him, put him back... Uh, in that title fight with Conor McGregor, I think he can make 155. For also hobbies mentioned, 
recently that he, he wants them to do a test cut. If he can do a test cut, he thinks George can make 155. And it's not like he's going to go down there and win in the belt and defend the belt. That's the beauty of having uh, Habib and Tony for that intro title because then those guys can go and defend that title. What you have with George and Connor would be a super fight, but you could do a 155. You could do a 172 if George really can't make that weight. But I think if you put it at 155, it gives George that chance to win a second title and add to his legacy. And I also made the argument in that same article that just say George St. Pierre right now, arguably is the greatest of all time. If you look at his resume, it, he's right there. Um, personally, I would go with John Jones st- still, but it's, it's close at this point, especially with all the problems Jones, Jones has had. But then you have Anderson Silva, obviously, and Fader and Milenko. Just say George St. Pierre comes back. Just say he beats Conor McGregor, wins that lightweight belt. Then he, just say he goes back to 170, even wins, wins his ba- belt back from Tyron Woodley or even Stephen Thompson. Or just say he just goes to 185 again and fights Michael Bisping and wins the middleweight belt. At that point, Joe, you're going to have to say this guy is the greatest fighter who ever lived. You know, So I think he has a really good chance right now to come back and, and save the sport almost. I really think the sport's kind of going downhill at the moment. And George St. Pierre is the guy that uh, a lot of fans loved, love uh, just because he's such a well-spoken guy, good-looking guy, and he's a great fighter. So he comes back, he's a, he's a big name, he's going to put out some great fights. And I really think that right now, Conor McGregor saying, hey, I want to go to boxing. I want to fight Floyd Mayweather. This is the fight the UFC is going to say to Conor, listen, you're under contract with us. We know you want a big fight. George St. Pierre is coming back. You guys are going to do two million pay-per-view buys. Break break all the all-time UFC pay-per-view record. Let's do this fight now. Let's make a lot of money together. I think that's what's going to happen, Joe. Now, you're a fellow Canadian uh, that looks at the sport and says it's, it's going downhill. Um, this is something that I believed uh, – Again, and, and full disclosure, because I am who I am. People who have followed me long enough know under, and pretty much understand why uh, I continually say this. And I've been saying it for uh, since the better part of 2000 and uh, I guess the end of 2014, beginning of 2015. Uh, we're in February of 2017 right now. And I said that the sport here in Canada is taking is going to take a massive slide. Uh, it has. Uh, nobody can deny that. People can try and throw numbers at me as much as they want. They're they're they're. No, it's not true. Uh, the the sport has taken a massive hit here in Canada. You go talk to any restaurant owner, uh, even in the town where I live in, uh, in the city that you and I frequent. Talk to any bar owner, and they will tell you that it's not the way it used to be back in the day when the UFC, um, you know, up until 2014. Um, the sport has taken a hit. It continues to hit, take a hit. But I want to know now from your perspective, because I think this is the, f- the first time I've heard you say it on this podcast where you believe the sport is taking sort of a – or maybe it's the UFC or just in general. The sport is heading downhill. Uh, also want to know from your perspective, is that a Canadian mentality? Because I don't know necessarily too much of an international mentality. That's a good question. I can't speak for anyone else, but I know that the other night I went out for dinner with a few friends, a few Canadian MMA journalists from the city, and, and I asked them, like, do you guys think that – well, I said the UFC – is the UFC going downhill? And everyone said yes. Um, I think uh, maybe I should, should have said the UFC is going downhill. I do think the sport's kind of plateaued, though, to be to be completely fair, Joe. I think that there was a lot more excitement for the sport a few years ago, especially in Canada, but even worldwide. But, yeah, I, I do think that UFC is going downhill, especially ever since WMEIMG took over. It just it's It seems like the – it's not really about the fighters at all anymore. It used to be at least somewhat more so under the Fatidas. Now it's just about making money. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong thing because it is a business after all. But at the same time, the fighters are what make this sport. And you've seen the way the UFC has really treated the fighters the last couple of years. First, you brought the Reebok deal in. That's when the Fatidas came. We're still in uh, charge. Then since WMEIMGs came in, you've had all these guys reach free agency. And you've, you've had the UFC really tighten the belt and say that, you know, we're not going to sign these guys like Serkinov. Let go of Prylov, let go of Ryan Bader, 
let go of Kyoji Horiguchi, who's an amazing fighter. I just really don't understand uh, the game plan right now from the UFC. And the UFC is the leader in the sport. So when the UFC is taking a hit and it looks like it's declining at the moment, the whole sport looks like it's declining, at least from my vantage point. Having said that, John, like you, I love MMA. I'll always watch MMA. It's just an amazing sport. But I watch it for the fighters, not for these promotions. And I really think that, again, since WME IMG is taking over, I, I, I feel like it's there's been, there's been some fan, fan support lost. I feel, I feel like some of that shifted to Bellator. But I feel like a lot of fans in general are just losing interest in the sport. Um, hopefully that can be changed, though, by, like I said, having George St. Pierre come back, coming back, bringing some more excitement back to the sport. But at this point, and you know what, Joe, you mentioned the bar owner thing. Uh, I usually go out to watch the pay-per-views at the local bar. And you know what, Joe, it's only when Connor or Ronda fights that it's packed. Otherwise, you can just get a table, walk in. But it never used to be like that. It used to be like you'd have to get, you know, you have to reserve seats to go and see George St. Pierre fight or Chuck Liddell fight or Anderson Silva fight. It's not like that anymore. Um, so, again, that's just my experience. I can't speak for anyone else. But from what I can see, things are definitely not looking uh, at the brightest at the moment. So, when you take a look at, at what all this means for the UFC, um, again, uh, to all our international viewers right now, uh, I do apologize if we're, if we're I'm not, I don't mean to be myopic uh, and only focus, you know, in, in Toronto and or Canada because uh, I haven't been down in the states in a while. Probably going not down into Buffalo, obviously, to cover the UFC event, UFC 210, uh, and I'll be able to get a better gauge down there. But then again, I'll be in the arena, likely covering the pay per view. Um, I'd like to know more from the from the American fans or any international fans that are watching now and or uh, later on on iTunes or on Stitcher. Uh, just just hit me up on social media at Showdown Joe. I'd like to get your thoughts on what the UFC is like now uh, in your area. Now, I know that when you take a look at a bar owner, and I, I know tons of restaurant owners, bar owners, big chain owners, uh, and they've all said the same thing. Basically, you know, saying the same thing you stated that it's just not the same. You know, why would I, you know, and, and, and they hate paying for it because they pay big money to yeah. show the pay-per-view events, but why? It's, it's no longer like there's a lineup out the door. It's the hardcore guys. Again, it feels like, I feel like the sport has gone down uh, to a hardcore audience, not necessarily a mainstream audience. And when I say mainstream, I mean that guy, Adam, that stops me when I'm pumping gas, uh, putting gas in, in, in my SUV or um, when I'm at the store buying or groceries and, and the guy I'm waiting in line and, and, and some guy just stops me. Hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen as much anymore. When it does, the people that do stop me are asking, Hey, what's going on with GSP or whatever happened to John Jones or Ronda Rousey's done. Isn't she? Or who's this Conor McGregor guy, right? Back in the day, it was completely different because we had this cycle of George St. Pierre constantly competing. Uh, and the people would ask me, uh, you know, when I had the TV show, Who's this Elias Theodoro guy? Tell me more about him. Or, yeah, I, I, I kind of like that at the Ultimate Fighter Canada versus Australia. Oh, I like that feature, that half an hour thing you did with Mark Hominick and Sam Stout uh, and Sean Pearson. That's not available for viewers anymore. What is available, obviously, for example, is hockey. And hockey is on nonstop in this country. It's over and over again. And then we, we're, in a, we're in a city right now where we have a team right now in the Toronto Maple Leafs, as an example, young team. Uh, personally, I don't, I'm a huge fan of the Leafs. I've always been – my, my blood is actually blue. Um, I could care less if they make the playoffs this year. I'm not interested if they make the playoffs this year. But rest assured. If they make the playoffs this year, that bar, those bars are going to be absolutely ram-packed. And that's because it's a product, not just that's been ingrained in the culture for hundred for for a hundred years, exactly. It's the centennial year this year, but it's in your face all the time. Hockey's king in Canada, as an example. NBA is huge in the States. Major League Baseball is huge in the States, but it's constantly in your face, whether it's on Fox or ESPN uh, or or whatever. The UFC doesn't have that here. 
Yeah. You know why? That's a good point though, Joe. Like, again, I we can only speak for our own personal experiences. I live in Toronto, born and raised here. Um, the Leafs, the Blue Jays and the Raptors sucked for many, many years and now they're good. And I think for a long time there, there was like that open spot for sports fans to maybe jump into another sport and start loving another sport. And I think MMA really did uh, arrive at a good time, especially in Ontario five or six years ago when it was legalized. You had UFC 129 break all the records at at that point. That was a time where, again, the Blue Jays were finishing fifth place in the American League East. The Raptors weren't making the playoffs. The Leafs were finishing 30th overall in the NHL. They did last year as well. So now you have some other options for sports fans to watch on Saturday night. And I agree with you, Joe, because you know what? When I go for the pay-per-views, I show up during the uh, the prelims. And you know what? It's, I have to ask them to put the TV on because I'm like, hey, can you guys put TSN on so I can watch the uh, – oh, sorry, Joe, I mentioned those three letters. My bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, people people, people <laughs> think that, that those three letters are, are um, you know, a four-letter word for me. It's – listen, <laughs> I, 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 you can say it as many times as you want. Okay. My situation okay. with them is what it is. Uh, I, I know I can look in the mirror uh, with full and wholehearted sincerity that I wasn't the issue. There. Well, anyways, I asked him to put the the, the, uh, the channel on just because it's not playing. You know what's playing? The Maple Leafs game against the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Raptors game against the Boston Celtics. Those are great games too, but, you know, a few years ago, you would have had the UFC on that bigger TV and then the smaller TVs would have had that on. But now it's a little changed. So um, I think maybe that's just a Toronto thing. Could be. But, again, like I'm on social media all the time. You're on social media all the time, Joe. I talk to a lot of people, Joe. You talk to a lot of people. And – you know, when I talk to people, they, they all kind of agree that, hey, you know, MMA is kind of floundering at this point. we got to see what happens with it. But since WME and IG taken over, again, I keep bringing, bringing back to, to that point. But since they've taken over, you know, they made some really questionable decisions. The matchmaking has gotten pretty questionable at this point as well. Again, I know they're going for the money fights, but like, for instance, Artem Lobov, that guy's not a money fight. I don't want to watch that guy fight. I don't care about him. You know, putting him in a main event. At least they listened to the fans and said, hey, you know, we got to put a better main event in Nashville because they're not going to sell any tickets for that. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see. Again, I love the sport. I want the, I want the sports to succeed, Joe, because you know what, Joe? If the sport succeeds, then the fighters make more money, hopefully, and, that, and that's what it comes down to. You know, I'm, I'm pro-fighter. I want the fighters to make more money. These guys are the best athletes in the world. They deserve to make money, guys and girls, I should say, and hopefully WMEIG opens up their pocketbooks, starts paying these guys, but uh, – you know, it's not looking great at the moment, especially when you're losing top contenders to other promotions. Yeah, that that's I mean, Horiguchi going over to Ryzen, uh, you know, it's it's beneficial yeah, for me. What do you think about that? It's, I'm biased, right? Like full disclosure, I, I do play by play for Ryzen, right? Yeah, so no, I, I absolutely I love it, but it's terrible yeah. for the UFC because yeah, there's okay. a guy there. What do you think of them letting him go? I mean, I can't believe they just they didn't put up a fight for him because he's an amazing fighter. So I had this conversation with Sean Pearson. Uh, I don't know if we had it with Elias last week, uh, maybe a bit with Robin and, and Frank Trigg, uh, as well as Sean Ross Sapp. I, I, I'm starting to wonder, uh, uh, and going down your timeline every so often, you take a look at, at you know, like when you say, what are what is the new UFC ownership doing, right? So letting a guy go like that, and, and, and there's almost like, I'm not saying there's a theme uh, or a conspiracy theory or, or an underlying factor here, but it happens to be a few of these international fighters that may not speak English very well, that are probably better in their local market. Is the UFC looking for people that are English-speaking fighters that can promote accordingly when asked to promote? Horiguchi, obviously, is English, is, is potentially null and void, right? Fantastic, though, in Japan. Japanese fighter can sell very well in Japan. Ryzen jumped all over that opportunity. And we saw last week, uh, I, I, I read off a, an Instagram post by uh, Saki Kibara-san, <clears throat> who's the owner of, of Ryzen, 
and how he did a nine-day business trip here, and he's talking about how they're going to expand uh, and they need help and, and stuff like that. Well, Horiguchi's one guy that they can get, but they're going to be a localized promotion. Now, you look, you look at Krylov. Krylov decided to, to sign over in Europe, right? So you got you got to take a look at some of this stuff here and think to yourself, is the UFC strictly starting to look at fighters that only want to speak English, that can, can promote English, and start cutting these international fighters and or guys that are no longer going to be relevant or champions in the division. Now, Ryan Bader is another example of a guy that may not be a champion in this division, but my goodness, you could relive that whole when he crashed that press conference with Daniel Cormier. You could put him in a title shot in a heartbeat. There's an easy way to put that guy into a title shot. So when I read stuff on your timeline and you're you're saying, what are these guys doing? What is the UFC doing? I question it as well. I'm like, what is the angle here? You know, they're not going to come out and say it, but I'd like to know, okay, what, what are you doing here? What, what is the end result here? That's a, that's a really interesting point you made, Joe. I, I didn't really think about that. You know, for me, I, I don't really think about their uh, language they speak, the fighters. I look at their records and let the records speak for themselves. And when I see a guy like Horiguchi, who's 8-1 in the UFC, or Nikita Krylov, who's 6-3 and three in the UFC, 5-1, and one, I believe, at lightweight, or 6-1 at lightweight, light heavyweight, I should say, um, or Misha Serkinov, who's 4-0 in the UFC, or Ryan Bader, who's on, uh, you know, he's won six of his last seven fights or whatever. I look at the record and let the record speak for itself. But again, you know, it is a new uh, ownership group, and, and again, it seems like the sport's going in a different direction. But at the same time, if you, if you, did, if you didn't have guys that didn't speak English, you would have never had Anderson Silva. Uh, become a champion. He would have never had the opportunity to learn English or Junior DeSantos or Jose Aldo or any of these guys. Um, but having said that, getting back to your point about the new owners and, and just their game plan, uh, you know, I've made the point so many times on Twitter now, it's it's like I don't even bo- want to bother talking about it anymore. But I just really would, would like for them just to come out and have a press conference and let the media ask them some questions. You know, they, they could say like, uh, you know, no comment on some of these things, obviously. But I think the media and I think the fans have a right to know. Again, I, I brought this up. You look at other sports, Joe, their owners talk like own, the owners of, of, of sports teams. They'll talk, you know, like they'll have their team presidents talk. But in UFC, you only have Dana Way and he's, he barely does any interviews anymore. So you have to kind of guess what they're doing. And I just I, I don't like that. I think there's, there's too much secrets, secrecy going on here. You know, again, you like I've mentioned this on your podcast, Joe, many times. There's a special relationship in MMA between the fans and the promotions. They, I don't think you have in other sports. And I think that, you know, to, to Dana Witt's credit, he, he kind of made that possible for a long time. And uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's there anymore. So hopefully that changes in the future. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. Finish off. I don't know if it will, though. I just, I'm not sure what their game plan is. So Robin told me last week, Robin Black uh, was on a Monday, and he uh, he was down there and he had some conversations, uh, especially with the likes of Joe Rogan. And they're, just, they, they're sort of like, almost like, a, hey, what about this? Or they're sort of brainstorming. Um, there is a, a theory um, that is out there right now that basically stated as the new ownership came in, uh, they wanted to do things their way, kind of not pushing Dana White and, and his team off to the side, saying, listen, you, you'll do what we ask you to do, and we're going to do it our way. Uh, and then they quickly realized with the screw-up with Ronda Rousey, um, with the, with the mess-up of a few other things, they said, okay, well, all right, Dana, come back for a second. And Dana's like, yeah, I told you so. Now we can go back to doing it the way it should be done. Um, so there a might be some changes coming down the front that'll bring back the UFC to where Dana and Lorenzo originally had it, or it might be a situation where it's just, it's going to stay the same and the new owners will be like, yeah, you do it for a bit, then we'll come back in uh, and it could fluctuate. So it is difficult to say, and I know exactly what you're saying. You wish that there'd be some sort of press conference or some sort of, not even, I wouldn't even do a conference call. I'd rather do a press conference to be honest right. with you, but, uh, to, to sit down and have a conversation and ask the questions, even if you get no comment, no comment means a lot. 
because uh, you know that unfortunately leads to speculation, but it is something. It'll create headlines. Um, it, it is it is one of those situations where uh, it's challenging for the fans. Definitely, it's challenging for the media because uh, speculation does suck, but speculation does cause conversation. Um, so. I don't really have any issues with that. But if we're going to talk about speculation, we're going to talk about fantasy stuff. We're going to talk about a bunch of things. Uh, on Friday, uh, my podcast with Sean Ross, Staff Managing Editor for Fightful.com, we discussed the potential of the Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather fight. And then shortly there, shortly before we went on the air, uh, there was a the talk of Anderson Silva stating he would love to take on Roy Jones Jr. Uh, in the co-main event of an event like that. So we decided, hey, you know what? What about an all all pay-per-view that is mixed martial arts boxers taking on actual boxers, co-promoted by the UFC because it'd be difficult for the UFC to do it all because, you know, Floyd Mayweather won't do it. Uh, You'd have to probably get Showtime or HBO or whomever involved in some sort of co-promotion. We know the UFC back in the day would never do a co-promotion either, or that was a shot against M1 Global and or Strikeforce at the time uh, and stuff like that. But there is the potential of an massive, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org massive pay-per-view because you could do an all-boxing event but throw it in the cage and you have conor mcgregor versus floyd mayweather anderson silva versus roy jones jr you bring in the holly Holm versus whomever you bring in eddie alvarez versus whoever you bring in the diaz brothers because they love to box as well so your thoughts on on, on that potential of, of if that was actually to ever take place and that would be a monster pay-per-view because you can have that argument of are these ufc fighters that damn good when it comes to boxing it's it's fun. It's fun to think about, Joe. No doubt about it. Now, personally, I like to keep the two sports separate, but the, the, some of these fighters seem to want these fights. And Conor McGregor is kind of running the show now in, in MMA, and we know Floyd Mayweather basically runs the show in boxing. So if these guys want it, it might happen. My biggest question the whole time is, like, especially with the Conor and uh, Mayweather fight, if that does happen, for instance, big if, but you said, does it happen in a cage, right? Like, I'm not sure if that would happen. Oh, I've, I've thought about this. I'm like, will they put it in a ring or a cage or where they have a cage beside a ring in the arena? That didn't seem right. I know that, uh, I think Glory and Bellator said that, where they had the two um, different, they had the, or the Bellator cage, called the Octagon, beside the beside a Glory ring. It's a lot of space for uh, for two different uh, places to fight, fighting areas. Um I just don't know if they would do like if Mayweather would want to fight in the cage. I don't think he'd do it because the angles are so much different from a boxing ring, and he's so used to a boxing ring. I just don't see him doing that. Uh, I think Roy Jones Jr. would though. I do. I do think he would fight in, a, in an MMA cage uh, in an octagon against Anderson Silva. Uh, anyways, getting back to what you were saying, it's it's fun to think about, Joe. I mean, at this point, like again, they're looking for the biggest fights possible. 
like again, if you're going to do MMA, I, I don't think there's anything bigger than Connor versus GSP. I think that breaks two million pay reviews. I think the record right now is like one point six million for the UFC or MMA in general. But if you do <laughs> Mayweather versus McGregor, and then you have Roy Jones Jr. versus Anderson, and you mentioned Eddie Alvarez, who's a good boxer, the Diaz brothers, um, Holly Holm, who's a, obviously an accomplished boxer, that's going to do maybe four million pay per view buys. So the UFC is in the business of making money, right? Maybe that's what they do. It's just I don't know. Logistically, it seems so tough to, to to figure out. Again, I don't I don't think I don't think Mayweather would fight in, in an octagon, man. I really don't think he'd do it. He's just not used to it. I think that would give Connor a lot of uh, opportunities to maybe cut the cage off in certain areas and take advantage of that. But uh, it's crazy, man. Like I've never th- I never thought that the day would come where we're actually talking about this like seriously almost, and it, it's here. So I don't know, Joe. I mean, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I threw out the cage reference in there because it'd be boxing in a cage. But I got, I, I'm pretty sure Connor, Diaz brothers, Holly Holm, Eddie Alvarez, uh, Anderson Silva would be more than happy to put on uh, boxing gloves and do it in a ring because that's what it basically is. So I, I put it in a ring as well. I think it'd be absolutely fantastic. Four million? Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be absolutely huge. I think it's it's... I mean, I understand where you're saying that it's it could be difficult and impossible. At this point here, I don't think anything is impossible under the right circumstances without egos, and there's tons of egos involved. This is a, a potential pay per view that can be done. It's just a matter of of you know putting all the chips on the table and determining okay, how can we make this work? We start off with Connor and Floyd Mayweather. What do they want? Okay. Anderson Silva and Roy Jones, I don't even think they want that much. They just want to do it. Holly Holm would be like, okay, who's the best woman boxer out there or who's someone that I could at least have a good, have a fair fight with? And that person uh, that's – I mean, I don't think any boxer would say no to this because they would be like, I get to fight a UFC fighter, and I know UFC fighters suck. They can't box. They're absolutely garbage. This is an easy payday. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. So every boxer, I think, would technically say yes. It's the UFC fighters that would probably be like, hmm. But then again, you look at who the UFC fighters would be. You also add the Diaz brothers. You think they give a damn about who the, who anybody would be put before them? I think Holly Holm would be the one that would be the one difficult um, with, with Winklejohn basically saying, I don't know, let's see, let's figure this out, blah, blah. She might say, yeah, you know what? That opponent would be fantastic. I'd be more than happy to represent the UFC uh, in this on this pay-per-view. Eddie Alvarez, he might be one of those guys that says, okay, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's, let's try and figure this out. Let's get the right opponent. Let's try and make more money because I'm sure he's pissed off that he didn't make as much money as he had liked to uh, in that Conor McGregor fight. Obviously, with Conor McGregor taking a shot at him in that pre-fight press conference saying this guy didn't even negotiate uh, more money for his. And he wants us to stay with the money that he signed on. So there are some hiccups, Adam. But, to, to, but in my opinion, is it impossible? I think it could be done, man. I think it could be done. Yeah, it seems like it's low risk almost for both both sides too because you'd have exhibition fights. There wouldn't be going on any uh, anyone's record probably just be a pure exhibition match. And if the boxer, they're they're likely to win the fight, so you know it doesn't really matter for them. But for the MMA fighter, if they lose, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, if Diaz goes in there and loses to a boxer, you could say, "Hey, I'm not a pro boxer, I'm a MMA fighter." You know, and then <laughs> on the flip side, Joe, you do this sets up a possible MMA versus boxing uh, card down the road. Bingo. Now you're starting to follow my line here. Go ahead. No, I know for sure. Right. But uh, again, it's just crazy. Like I've always wanted the, the, the uh, waters not to be so muddy between the two sports. I want them to just be distinct, but it's a different world we live in, Joe. It's 2017. And again, they're looking for the biggest possible fights and, and Hey, 
I, there's no doubt in my mind that Mayweather versus McGregor is the po- biggest possible combat sports matchup on the planet right now. Just a matter of if the UFC is going to let it happen or if they're going to block it. We'll see what happens, Joe. But I really do think they're going to try getting that that uh, GSP fight. Bring this back to our first discussion today. Okay, I think they will try to get that GSP Connor fight signed. I think it just makes too much sense. But uh, yeah. So all right, uh, I'll, I could talk this fantasy boxing versus MMA pay-per-view for a while, but um, let, let's go over, let's talk, let's, let's, let's discuss what we should be talking about, technically speaking. Uh, UFC 209 does go down uh, this Saturday. Uh, the undercard, there's a, there's a bunch of pretty good fights on here. Um, you know, there's Mark Godbeer versus Daniel Spitz. Uh, Yuri Alcantara taking on Luke Sanders. Uh, Mursad Bektex taking on Darren Elkins. I like that fight. Uh, and Tabura versus Henrique's a good fight. It's, a, it's People aren't talking about it much, but uh, I think everyone's eyes are mainly focused on that featherweight scrap between Bektex and, and Elkins. Uh, anything on that undercard, those prelims that you like as well? Yeah, I like this fight between Yuri Alcantara and Luke Sanders. I was pretty impressed by Luke Sanders in his debut, and Alcantara is a really tough guy. I think that's a really that's a really good fight for Sanders. He beats Alcantara. That puts him in the top fifteen and, and really makes a name for himself going forward. And and you got to keep your eye on on Mursad Bektic as well. This guy is uh, possibly a future champion, if you ask me. Um, he's got all the tools to, to to make a run for that featherweight title. He's got great wrestling, great ground game, improving striking, trains in a good camp. So you just got to keep improving his game. And Darren Elkins is a really tough guy. Um, proved himself to be a very solid gatekeeper in the UFC. Bektik goes, goes in there and beats him. That'd be a big win for him. So overall, I mean, there's definitely some fun fights on here. Actually, I also like that uh, Paul Craig versus Tyson Pedro fight on the fight pass card. I think that's a pretty fun one. Paul Craig was pretty impressed with his debut. So was Tyson Pedro. So that's a pretty fun one too. I think overall, there's some there's some exciting prelims here. There isn't very many big names, but I think that fans, hardcore fans, uh, will know some of these guys and should be some good, exciting matchups and good finishes. Absolutely. Talk about potentially a good finish. The first bout on the main card, Alistair Overeem taking on Mark Hunt. Holy smokes, this one will be ugly. Your thoughts? I mean, it's a great fight. I love how it's opening the pay-per-view, too. They're like, you know what? You guys go open the pay-per-view. Someone knock each other out. It's crazy, man. Um, it's a coin flip fight, Joe, if you ask me. I really think that it could go either way. I think Overeem obviously has a huge advantage if the fight hits the floor. He's actually beaten Mark Hunt before. He's submitted him in the past. So if he gets the fight to the ground, he's probably going to submit Mark Hunt again with a Kimura again. Um, and he also has obviously amazing striking too, and he's got knockout power. But Mark Hunt has huge power in his hands, and he's, has, he's a better chin than Overeem. Having said that, um, it's, it's tough because Overeem's a younger fighter. He's faster. He's more athletic. Hunt obviously has had those issues with the UFC. Where's his mindset at right now? Really tough one to call. I, I definitely see someone getting knocked out or submitted in this fight. I don't think it goes the full three rounds. Stylistically, I'm going to have to go with Mark Hunt here slightly just because I, I don't trust over his chin. He has 10 knockout losses, Joe, and uh, I don't think he can recover from that. So I'm going to take Mark Hunt for knockout, but I would not be surprised if he got submitted either. Lando Venata taking on David Tamor. Now, Lando Venata is getting a nice little push here by the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He is a massive favorite here uh, on the Fightful MMA podcast, especially since that debut against it was Tony Ferguson. Uh, he is well-loved uh, on Fightful MMA. Uh, he's getting a push. He's on the pay-per-view card taking on Tamor. Uh, and Venata's continuing to impress as one of those guys that comes in on short notice, no one heard of him, and now he's like this storm uh, that's come into the Ultimate Fighting Championship, uh, having a great time uh, at 155 pounds. Your thoughts on this scrap? Fun fight. Definitely don't think this one's going to go the distance either. I think someone's going to get knocked out in this fight. Landon Venata, like you mentioned, Joe, first fight in the UFC against Tony Ferguson on, like, I think two weeks notice or something short, and came in there and, and gave Tony Ferguson arguably the toughest fight in his UFC career. It was a real barn burner of a fight. He obviously lost that fight, but came back 
with vengeance in his next fight. We were at UFC 206, knocked out John McDessie with that spinning wheel kick. Impressive as hell. And, and David Tamir actually is 2-0 in the UFC with two knockouts himself. Um, he's not that well-known, but he's a guy who's on the ultimate fighter. He's definitely improved his game since then. But having said that, I think this is a showcase fight for Landon Venata. I think it's going to be a matchup where the UFC sees him fighting another striker who's going to stand and trade in the pocket. And I think Venata gets another highlight real knockout. So that's my pick here. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, middleweight scrap, Rashad Evans. <sighs> Rashad. Yep. Who I saw, who I saw in Florida at the last Titan event. God, he's one of my favorite guys ever. Just a great dude, but I'm always concerned for him. He's taking on uh, Dan Kelly uh, with Elias Theodoro already saying, "I want the winner." Uh, break this one down here. That'd be a fun fight. Um, this is tough, man. I mean, obviously Rashad Evans is the more accomplished fighter. He's a former UFC lightweight heavyweight champion. He's making his middleweight debut, but he has so many red flags surrounding him right now. He hasn't fought in like about a year since he got knocked up by Glover Teixeira. He hasn't won a fight in a few years, I think, since, since, since he beat Chael in 2013, which is such a long time ago. He obviously had the uh, the issue with the medicals with the uh, New York State Athletic Commission where he wasn't allowed to fight at UFC 205. Um, he's an older guy. He's making his middleweight debut. So there's a lot of knocks against Rashad here. Um, if he's healthy and if he's motivated, if, if he can make the weight, he should be able to win this fight. But I'm just not convinced that's going to happen. Dan Kelly's a guy that you look at and you don't think he's – much of anything, but somehow the guy's five and one in the UFC coming off a great win over Chris Camozzi. And he's a guy who's in the Olympics, I believe four times for Australian judo. So the guys are, yeah, yeah, I believe in judo. So the guy's definitely like a, a great athlete. Although if you look at him, he's got that dad bod thing going on. It's <laughs> awesome. Don't think he's much of a fighter, Joe, but the guy knows how to scrap, man. He's super tough. I'm going with Dan Kelly in this fight. I'm going to take Dan Kelly for the upset. I, uh, I think he can grind a shot out and, and, I'm not sure if he finishes Rashad. Rashad's obviously extremely durable, but I actually think that Kelly can outwork him here and win a decision. Adam Martin. I said that. I can't believe I said it, but I did. So. Adam Martin, Adam Martin, Adam Martin. Do you believe, after watching the Ultimate Fighter Nations, <laughs> watching Dan Kelly compete in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, you said, yep. and I agree, the dad bod, a.k.a. Fader Milianenko, a.k.a. the guys that I've trained in the gym over the years that have the dad bods that I laugh at that kick the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, did you ever think one day you would, A, think Dan Kelly versus Rashad Evans, and B, pick Dan Kelly over Rashad Evans? I can't believe it. I believe he fought Sheldon Westcott on the show. Is that correct? He, I think he got submitted by him, right? On that, Yeah, so I mean... I can't believe it. And he got knocked out by Sam Alvey too. But since then, he's looked great. The guy's just really tough, man. He's got great cardio. doesn't stop going. Um, and you know what? He's got a really good story too. His son obviously is dealing with some serious uh, health issues right now. And he's always talking about that, saying that his son is his motivation to fight. And I'm not really sure Rashad, Rashad Evans' motivation to fight is. I love Rashad personally. I think he's I think he's a surefire Hall of Famer, Joe. Whenever he retires, he's going in the Hall of Fame right away. You know, I, think, I actually think Rashad Evans – He's one of the most underrated MMA fighters of all time. I don't think he's ever got the amount of respect from the fans and from the media that he's deserved and from the UFC as well. I just feel like his career is kind of really coming to an end here. It's crazy because he's 36 and Kelly's 39, but I think Kelly has more left in the tank. He hasn't taken that damage over the years um, that Evans has, and, and, and Kelly's looking pretty fresh right now. So I never thought, though, Joe, after that show, that show, man, he didn't look good at all. But since coming to the UFC, he's really improved his game. Got to give credit to the guy, man. I just think Rashad Evans is a jerk. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you flat out. Did I ever tell you the story about me and him at TriStar? Nope, never heard it. <laughs> He's such a jerk. He gave Bobby T, my executive producer, one of the biggest heart attacks ever. God. We're sitting there. We're filming um, 
some of my fight schools. For those who don't know, I had a segment on my show called Fight School, where in essence I would get into the cage uh, with with a uh, UFC champion or a mixed martial arts, and we would do we would record various fight techniques, explaining what it is to be in a clinch, what it is to set up a double leg takedown. Uh, you know, the the late Sean Tompkins, who worked a whole bunch of striking stuff. Um, so Rashad and I were at TriStar. I did a bunch of stuff with George, a bunch of stuff with Fraza Hobby, a bunch of stuff with uh, Crew Phil Nurse, and you know, um, Rashad's there, and Rashad were going, 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 and Rashad. I was like, because how long have you been training? I said, I think I started training back in 98, jiu-jitsu, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, we're just doing our thing and blah, blah, and he double legs me. He's like, okay, well, you know how to fall. So when we record this, we'll have a good time. Okay, yeah, I said, sure. I said, don't kill me. I got to be on TV on Monday, but just whatever, right? First take, does a double leg takedown. And when I say double leg, he picked me up in the air, Adam, and it was as if he picked me up with such ease that in the air, he let go of me. Jeez. So my hips went underneath me, and then as he grabbed me and, and brought me down to the ground, it was just a big thud to the point my camera guy – what, <laughs> what I could see was – so here's the lens of the camera, and all of a sudden I see this, my camera guy going <laughs> – right? And I could see my producer, Bobby T, looking through the cage going – He's dead. He's dead. And and then Rashad's face was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I get up. I'm like, all right. I look back. I'm like, was that a good take? And they're like, they're all like, what? No, let's go for a second take. I'm like, you guys are all a bunch of jerks. So we did it again. And he would slam me harder and harder. And I was not hard to the point where I would get hurt, but yeah. hard enough to make you look good on camera. Uh, and we joked about it on the show. And ever since then, you know, obviously Rashad uh, is a great guy as is, but I, I, I remind him all the time. And, you know, I'll, I won't say the four-letter words or five-letter words that he uses to describe me. Uh, but in essence, just stop being a female cat. I'll say that. And we just joke around and, and, and you know, whatever. He's a great guy, but I, th- I still think he's a jerk. Uh, <laughs> co-main event, UFC 209. Sean Pearson refers to this as the only fight he wants to see on this card. This is the real title fight for 155 pounds in his eyes. Tony Ferguson... Habib Nurmagomedov. This is the this is one of those fights that I'm absolutely one of two fights this year uh, that I've been salivating for. Obviously, I'm waiting for the uh, Cody Garbrandt uh, and TJ Dillashaw fight. I can't wait for that one to go down. But this is the fight that I'm not looking at my phone. I'm putting my phone down. My laptop will be shut. I could care less about social media, likely, uh, when I'm watching this fight here. This one is going to be fantastic. I am leaning towards Habib Nurmagomedov. I think Tony Ferguson will do what he can to try and stay away and punish him the way Michael Johnson was able to punish Habib in that sort of that first round with those strikes. I think Tony's going to be trying to do that, while Habib is like, I'm going to punish this guy and break him the way I break everybody. It's an amazing fight, Joe. I think it's definitely the best fight of the year so far. Um, it could end up being the fight of the year by the end of 2017. Both guys are just amazing fighters. Habib's 24-0 in the MMA. He's undefeated, 8-0 in the UFC. He looks better and better every time. And I think people forget this guy missed like two years of action with serious knee injuries. You know, he's come back. He's looked better than he, than he did when he beat Rafael Dos Anjos a few years ago. He's looked even better since he's come back. And then you have Tony Ferguson, Joe since winning the Ultimate Fighter. Um, eight finishes. Only one loss in UFC to Michael Johnson. He broke his arm in that fight, kept fighting through it, went the full three rounds. Since then, won nine fights in a row. I mean, really, I mean, you can't get a better MMA fight than this. These guys are both amazing. How I break it down is Habib's wrestling has been unstoppable to this point for the most part. And Tony Ferguson has a wrestling background as well, and he has good striking, and he has that Brazilian jiu-jitsu game that could possibly 
uh, be the X factor in this fight if Habib makes a mistake on the ground. But Habib is just shown to be so positionally strong on the ground and he's so dominant on the floor. I think Habib's going to win a close decision. I think it's going to be a very competitive fight. I think Tony's going to make it make it uh, close. I think he's going to throw up some triangles, throw up some rubber guards, uh, make it make it interesting on the ground. But I think Habib at the end of the day is going to do enough with the takedowns, enough ground and pound. And I think he's going to win a decision. I don't. I don't. I think it's going to be an amazing fight, though, Joe. I don't. I don't think it's going to be uh, dominant for either side. Surprised though, if Tony Ferguson emerges victorious. Say it again. Be surprised if Tony Ferguson no, does no, emerge no. victorious. No, because he's an amazing fighter as well. Like I just mentioned, I think it's. I think it's a close fight with a slight lean towards Habib. If you look at the betting odds, Habib is. I think he's a two-one favorite. I think that's a bit too high, personally. I would put him around like a minus one thirty mark or something, like very slight, just because of that wrestling advantage. But uh, Tony Ferguson, no, I would not be surprised at all. The guy's got – he is better striking. That's the, the most important thing. If he can stop the takedowns or keep the fight in the feet, he probably wins the fight. I'm just not convinced he's going to be able to stop those takedowns. I mean, who has stopped to be taking him down? He's got that amazing ability to chain wrestle, and if he doesn't get that first shot, he's going to keep going for it. And get, he'll eventually push you against the fence, get your feet under you, get you on, get you on the floor, and start to punish you. Look what he did to Michael Johnson, Joe. I mean, that was – Super impressive. And I don't play MMA math, but you look at the way he handled Michael Johnson and the way that Ferguson struggled with Michael Johnson. Obviously, it's been like four or five years since then, but um, he has that style where he's just – it's very hard to stop from getting you down. Look what he did to Abel Hill a few years ago. I think he took him down 21 times. It was just an amazing uh, ability of, of MMA wrestling there. So wouldn't be surprised at all if, if either result happens, but it's slightly lean towards the B just based on that wrestling ability alone. All right. Figuratively speaking, round six begins in around 12, 1230 uh, on Sunday morning as Tyron Woodley, the UFC welterweight champion, defends his title once again against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, and, and both guys, as they know, are, are going to bring in what they brought in the last fight and some more new tricks. Um, it depends on who can bring in what new tricks, if they can execute them. Uh, but in a fight like this, generally speaking, you will always go back to what you've always known. Um, maybe the first round or second round, maybe the beginning of the third round, you could still try and do those tricks. But once this thing gets to the championship rounds, you're fatigued, your lungs are burning, your body is done, you go back to what you know. And I think Teron Woodley uh, is a power puncher with great wrestling. And Stephen Thompson needs to use his footwork, which may fade if this fight goes on and has to use that striking and really pinpoint, be accurate uh, and knock out Teron Woodley. Um, be interesting to see, but... It's a fantastic fight. It's a it's a hardcore mixed martial arts fan's dream when you get these two guys back in there again. Although it's not getting as much love as people think it should, I, it's understandably so. It's going to be a badass fight. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, it's definitely a good matchup. First fight was amazing. Fight of the night, UFC 205. A card that was extremely stacked. So, I mean, this rematch is going to be something else. Um, the first fight was really close. I, I mean, there was that 10-8 round in the fourth round. That's pretty much what made it a draw. Other than that, I thought they would be or excuse me, Wonderboy had won three rounds, but there was that 10-8 round there, so I can see why the draw obviously happened. Um, it's a tough one to call. I mean, I, I, the thing that I that makes me lean towards Wonderboy in this fight is I just don't believe he was fighting to his true capabilities in that first fight. I think you saw the best wood that you could see where his cardio actually looked amazing for a guy who usually gasses out in the later rounds. His looked great in that fight. Um, obviously, had that second win in that fourth round where he knocked down Wonderboy. And it's amazing he didn't get that guillotine choke because that thing was – I've never seen anything tighter than that. That was incredible that Wonderboy survived that. But I really do think Wonderboy can make adjustments in this one. I've heard him talk in interviews saying that, you know, he looks back at the tape and he wonders why he wasn't more aggressive in the first couple rounds. If you look at his fights with, like, Johnny Hendricks and – Jake Ellenberger, even the fight with Warren McDonald, he was way more aggressive in those fights. He was doing a lot more, landing a lot more kicks, 
I think that's going to be the key of this one. He's going to use those kicks, use those unorthodox angles, and really pick apart Woodley in this fight and win a, win a close decision. Again, though, like the last fight, I wouldn't be surprised if Woodley won this fight. It's another really close fight. You know, it's a slight – for me, it's a slight lean towards Wonder Boy. Very slight. I wouldn't be surprised if Woodley pulled it off. He's a good fighter. I think he gets a little bit underappreciated, to be honest with you. But uh, I do think stylistically that Wonder Boy can win this one. And uh, I just hope the, uh, the judges or whoever read those scorecards last time uh, doesn't tabulate it wrong. Yep, it's going to be a great show. But for now, hopefully you, ladies and gentlemen, enjoyed this one here. I want to thank uh, MMA Adam Martin uh, for coming on here. Uh, anything you want to say, Adam, before we let you go? Well, thanks again, Joe, for having me on the podcast. And to your listeners, if they could follow me on Twitter at MMAdamMartin, that would be awesome. And also check out my podcast, the MMA Review Podcast. I'm doing that once a week. Some good MMA talk. No politics, no Donald Trump stuff, just MMA. That's what I love. So check that podcast out. Thanks again, Joe. Oh, it's always been my pleasure. Make sure you do follow Adam Martin online. Follow yours truly at Showdown Joe. Make sure you give us a follow uh, at Fightful MMA as well on social media. You can get all your mixed martial arts news at FightfulMMA.com. Tomorrow, I'll be joined once again by Elias Theodoro, likely at 3 p.m. I don't know where he's going to be. Uh, it's always a mystery uh, up until we get live. Uh, yesterday, he was at, or last, last week, he was in a hot tub disturbing uh except for the ladies that were freaking out on uh on social media hitting up uh my twitter account and elias's account but uh we'll see where elias is going to be tomorrow but we'll try we're going to aim for 3 p.m tomorrow but for now make sure uh if you tune in if you joined us live thank you so much for tuning in for those uh, that catch us on itunes and on stitcher we thank you as well for all of your support for now i want to wish everybody a wonderful monday stay warm if you're north of the border enjoy the sun if you're south of the border ciao for now This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.